Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Peretti, and this is episode 51 of Yoga Land. On today's episode, I'm so thrilled to welcome Susan Kane as a guest. Susan is the New York Times bestselling author of Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. This book had a huge effect on my life when it came out a few years ago, and it clearly had an effect on many people's lives because it was on the New York Times bestseller list for more than four years, and it's been translated into 40 languages. You might also know Susan from her record-smashing TED Talk, which has now been viewed over 16 million times and was named by Bill Gates as one of his all-time favorite talks. Susan's work has appeared in the New York Times, The Atlantic, The Wall Street Journal, and many other publications. She's an honors graduate of Princeton and Harvard Law School. And as I learned from this interview, she also does yoga. But I didn't have Susan on the show to talk about her yoga practice. I wanted to have her on the show because I believe that the foundation for happiness is self-knowledge and self-understanding. And that's something that we work on a lot in the yoga practice. But there are other modalities that can support that process as well. And I think that's why her book spoke to me so deeply when I read it. I felt when I read her book, like there were aspects of myself that I finally understood. And not only that, they were really validated. Growing up as an introvert in an Italian family. Well, first of all, I I am somewhat of an ambivert because I do love big Italian family gatherings. And I love, you know, I, I do love certain kinds of gatherings, but at my core, I am, I am really introverted. And I think I always thought there was something wrong with me or, you know, that my preferences were just antisocial. So there's just so much to learn from all the work that she's done and all the data she's compiled and the way that she interprets and everything. The other reason I wanted to have her on the show is because I think a lot of introverts are drawn to the yoga practice and perhaps even drawn to become yoga teachers. And then once you become a yoga teacher as an introvert, there are specific challenges that come up that don't come up when you're a student, right? You're you're having to expend a lot of energy by talking all the time. You have to interact with a lot of different people. You have a lot of different eyes on you. And you have to market yourself in a very competitive space where charisma is kind of now king these days. So I I asked her some questions about that as well. It was a great interview and I hope you enjoy it. And I hope you will let me know what you think on either the show notes page or by leaving a review. The show notes this week are at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 51. And I'll also put links there to Susan's book and, um, to her TED Talk and to new uh, organization that she has called Quiet Revolution. If you love the podcast, don't forget to subscribe. You can listen to it anywhere you listen to your podcasts. That way it will just magically show up in your feed whenever I upload a new one. Magic. Okay, enjoy the interview. Starting from the beginning, beginning for anyone who's who's not totally familiar, who's been living in a cave for the last 15 years. (laughs) What are the qualities and characteristics that define an introvert or an extrovert? Oh, gosh. Um, well, you know, I, I think one thing is to ask yourself how you feel when you're at a party that you're actually enjoying, uh, truly enjoying the company of the people around you. 
um, if you're an introvert, no matter how much you're enjoying it and no matter how socially skilled you are, you probably, after those two hours, start to feel like you're getting antsy and you want to go recharge your battery by doing something else, something quieter. Um, and if you're an extrovert, you're probably having the opposite experience, which is that your battery is being recharged by being in that setting. And so you want, you can, you want more of it. You're looking for more. Yeah. And you make it clear that there's a spectrum, right? So, you know, none of us is a hundred percent one or a hundred percent of the time, like that sometimes that we're all kind of along this spectrum and that they're even ambiverts. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So even somebody who's an extreme extrovert or an extreme introvert is going to have their moments where they're feeling and behaving as if they were the other type, as you say, no one is all one thing. Um, and then there is this category of people who are ambiverts who either are just sort of generally in the middle of the spectrum, or they feel like they really kind of go back and forth quite a bit. And in situation A, they're reliably introverted. In situation B, they're reliably extroverted. That, now that describes all of us to some extent, but it describes ambiverts to a larger extent. I actually wonder at this point in my life if I'm an ambivert because I sort of forced myself out of my introversion in certain situations. I mean, it's funny because people say that. I think the question to ask yourself is if you're behaving in a more extroverted way these days through having forced yourself, is that because it's a skill that you have acquired, but it's still generally not your preference of how to spend your time? Yes. Or <laughs> have you acquired the skills like so much that you actually now love it? You know, and those are two really different states. And so I always say to people like, the real test is to ask yourself how you would spend your time. You know, if you had a weekend, let's say with absolutely no social or professional mm -hmm. obligations, what would you do? How many people would be in the room with you while you're doing it? Yeah. My husband and I are both very clearly introverts. Like it's, I mean, it's, I think that I didn't fully accept my introversion until I met him because we were friends before we, for a few years before we started dating. And I remember one of the times I decided I really wanted him to be my boyfriend was it was a Saturday and I had all these plans to go out and, you know, of course, like probably try to meet someone. And he was going home to sit in the bathtub and read <laughs> on a Saturday night. And he was like 28 years old, you know, <laughs> I was like, oh, I got to date this guy. Can I go read with you? That's it. I mean, if I can ask it, it's interesting because like, I think that different kinds of couples whether they're both introvert, both extrovert, or one of each, I think they have different kinds of advantages and disadvantages. So for you guys, you know, you both want to stay home and read, and that's great. And do you ever find that sometimes it's hard because in a couple often there's like a feeling of, well, one person has to do the initiating to kind of get you out of the house? Yes, 100%. It's me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he also, you know, he's a yoga teacher. So he actually, his story reminded me a lot of Brian Little's story in your book, because he, he teaches to, you know, large groups of people all the time. And sometimes he goes into these two week trainings where he's talking or he's responsible for the feeling and the, the things that are going on in the room for, you know, eight to 10 hours a day. So then when he comes home, he's even more extremely introverted, you know, Imagine that. Yeah. But I, I loved that story. And I think that that story is, is sort of important for people in the yoga world to hear, because my guess is that a lot of people listening, I mean, I have a lot of yoga teachers who listen. And my guess is that many of them are introverts because 
well, because first of all, you've identified that like a third to half the population are introverts, which surprised me, but also because I think that a lot of introverts are naturally drawn to yoga because it's, you know, it's quieting and it's introspective and it's a really sensorily like soothing environment. But then when you go to teach, it's a very different experience because you have to, there's so much energy output. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about Brian Little's story and just this idea that we can shift into extrovert mode if it's something that is part of our values, if it's a project that's part of our values. Yeah. So first of all, everything you said about yoga and yoga teachers makes complete sense. It really resonates for me. And I'll tell you about Brian Little in a second, but just to share, you know, the times that I've done yoga as a student, not as a teacher, I actually found it really frustrating whenever the teacher would say, and now like pair up with a partner and do such and such. Yes, me too. Yeah. Or even like going over to the wall, I didn't like to do. I, I, I found that I really wanted to like stay on my mat in the middle of the room and just be centered in that place. And I found it very disruptive to go and do other stuff. Yeah. It makes total sense. Yeah. I mean, I think there's such a debate about, about partner or not to partner in the middle of class. And I am like staunchly in your camp of, oh man, anytime they say like, go find a partner and it just feels so disruptive and also just kind of like socially painful. But I also (laughs) recognize because I've been told a million times that it's also a good thing to relate to other people in the yoga community that, you know, it's because I, I was just this person who for so many years would just like go in quietly and sit on my mat and not talk to anyone and which is, you know, fine, but it's also okay to like reach out and have to cope with other people too. So it's, it's funny yeah, that you bring that up. Other, I like chit chatting before and after class sometimes, but that's different to me from let's all, let's pair up and do an activity. I yes. No, it's very different. It's very different. And I actually happen to really like acro yoga, which is a partner form of yoga, but I know going into the room that that's what I'm going to be doing. You know, it's a different, it's all set right, up for right. that. Yeah, no, I totally understand. I also wanted to say for the introverted yoga teachers who might be listening, I think extroverts too, really, that one of my favorite yoga teachers was someone who always brought a lot of philosophical and spiritual teachings into the class. So she would begin by reading quotations and elaborating on them. And she would do that throughout the class. So there was a kind of like um, very contemplative intellectual component. And I loved that. That made me feel like I wanted to follow her around everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, and at first I was saying, oh, this is for your introverted yoga teachers who are listening. But actually, I think this particular teacher was more of an extrovert now that I think about it. Brian Little is a great research psychologist and also one of the world's great public speakers and a very strong introvert. He's really devoted to his students, to his students and to his audiences in general. So what he typically does is he'll go and give a talk about personality psychology and he'll give it his all. And, you know, he's just like a stellar performer, but he's an introvert. So yeah. the minute he's done, he says he races for, he calls it the washroom because he's Canadian. <laughs> he races for the restroom and puts his feet up. So no one will even know that he's there because he feels like he just needs to recharge. Based on these experiences and others like it, he actually developed this whole field within personality psychology that he calls free trait theory, which is basically the idea that 
in life, we're best off if we figure out what our core projects are, you know, the things we're really passionate about doing, could be work, could be social or whatever. And in the service of those core projects, those are the places where you should be stepping outside your comfort zone, acting out of character, as he puts it. Because you're, then you're not, you're not doing it for just a random reason. You're doing it for something that really matters. But even then, you're acknowledging that you're stepping outside your comfort zone. And so you grant yourself what he calls a restorative niche afterward. So, you know, his version of all of this is his core project is teaching. And in the service of teaching, he goes and gives everything of himself on stage. And then he gives himself that restorative niche after you know, yeah. running to the restroom. And I think we all can do that. So like in the yoga community, if you're a teacher, for example, you know, you probably feel you've got a passion to impart this knowledge and this practice to your community of students. And at the same time, it probably does require a little bit of acting out of character. And that's okay as long as you're doing that intentionally and then granting yourself the peace and quiet afterwards to restore instead of having a narrative that I think many people do of like, oh, I shouldn't feel this way. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm yoga, I should be that out there teacher. So why am I feeling this way? And it's not acceptable. You know, there's, there's a whole internal narrative that goes on that should all be dispensed with. Yeah. God, that story was so helpful for me to read. First of all, because I've always asked Jason, my husband, like, how do you do this? How do you talk to people? I mean, I've always been a writer and an editor and just doing this podcast is like pushing me, pushes me out of my comfort zone, being the person who talks rather than listens. And I, I've, so I've said to him for years, like, how do you do this? And he said, I just turn it on. Like when I, when I have to turn it on. And I think what's challenging for introverts can be when you are acting extroverted because you feel like societally pressured, that feels really different than feeling like it's because of a personal passion or because of your values that you, you want to get a message out there or you want to expand your skill set. feels very, very different. I think that's true. The only addition I would make to what you just said is it's not only about societal pressure, it's really about internal pressure too. Yes. You know, most of us have internalized those societal pressures, so then we put them on ourselves. book about how we we haven't always been an extroverted culture, you know, that it was really the industrial age and, and moving from agriculture and small towns to big business where you kind of had to prove yourselves to people that charisma and magnetism became such a central part of our culture. And this is kind of happening in the yoga world too. You know, it used to be kind of a subculture for nerds, (laughs) just to put it plainly. Yeah. And now it's, it's great that it's become more popular and, and anyone who cares about yoga is happy about that. But I do hear from teachers that they feel forced to, you know, make classes harder, faster to play music and that there are some, some struggles with, with marketing as well. So just to back up again, I wonder if we could, if you could talk about some of like the concrete benefits of introversion. And not just for introverts, for extroverts too, that, that solitude, that time. 
Oh yeah. And, and by the way, there's, there's actually a whole bunch of research showing that extroverts enjoy the company of introverts, just as introverts enjoy the company of extroverts, mm-hmm. because there is this of it, you know, complementing the way they normally would be. So I can imagine an introverted yoga teacher, you know, presenting a very quiet and contemplative class that an extrovert might feel drawn to because they feel it's the thing that's missing in their lives. Yeah, that's that's nice to know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, they have to do with being more quiet. That often comes along with having developed great skills as an active listener, Um, whether because, you know, sometimes it doesn't even originate in listening itself, but rather preferring not to have the spotlight on you um, has a way of teaching you very quickly to become a good asker of questions and, you know, intent listener of the answers. Also, there's actually a lot of interesting data showing that introvert, introverted leaders often deliver better outcomes than extroverted leaders do. Wow. Yeah. And it varies a little bit with the situation, but the reason, well, there's a, there's a bunch of reasons. One of them is that introverts will tend to take in others' opinions, like the people who work for them, that they'll be soliciting those opinions and listening to them and implementing them. Whereas extroverts are more likely to have a dominant style where they're putting their own stamp on things before others' ideas really see the light of day. Mm. So you're just more ideas out there. The other reason has to do with the fact that introverts tend to go deep in their lives, like they tend to have one or two or three passions that they devote themselves to. So in the case of your community, one of them might well be yoga. <laughs> and and what, what ends up happening is that they end up ascending to leadership positions in the service of those passions, not because they wanted to be a leader in the first place, but just because they care so much about what they're doing. Right, and right. Very pure and appealing form of leadership. Because people can feel it, you know, like they know if the teacher is in the room because they just love it so much. Right. It's not about the razzle dazzle necessarily. It's not about getting all the accolades. It's just about feeling a calling in some way to do it. Exactly. So, you know, probably a teacher of that nature is going to attract the other people or attract students who are inclined to go deep. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and I think there's a place for all the different versions. I can imagine the same person actually on some days preferring a more razzle-dazzle yoga moment and other days a more uh, deep and introspective one, let's say. Yeah, yeah. You've been open about the fact that, you know, you really enjoyed the writing part of your book, the the, the solitude and the, and the research and going deep, and that then you had to then go out and talk about it to, to the world and that that was challenging. Have you found that that experience of, you know, you did this huge TED talk that's been viewed millions of times, and I'm sure you've had to speak since then so many times. Have you enjoyed that process of pushing yourself out of your comfort zone? Has that changed you at all? Or is there anything you've learned? Oh, yeah, no, I've learned a ton from it. I mean, so first of all, when I first started, I had this kind of terrible, raw, exposed, naked feeling about it all. And that really did go away with time. It's almost completely gone. So I don't really have like that discomfort or anxiety about being public the way I used to. I I guess I would still say it's still not my number one way to (laughs) spend my time. And I do do a ton of public speaking now, a ton of it. 
on any given day, I would still much rather be like hanging out at the library, reading or writing or whatever. Yeah. But I guess what I've learned is that, you know, I care so much about what I'm saying and doing that that carries me through and enables me to find enjoyment in it. And, and as I say, like the anxiety piece has completely disappeared. So, or not completely, I don't want to say that because before I get on stage, I still have some butterflies, but you know, they're completely in the normal range of experience where they used to be very outsized. Another uh, area I want to touch on just because I know that this is such a pressing issue for people is social media. And, you know, yoga has really exploded in social media in the past five years. And as a result that, you know, there've been teachers who sort of come out of nowhere with very little experience and, and have sort of catapulted to fame. And I think it's, it's created this sense of like competition in the charisma area that wasn't really there before. I'm sure you get, you get the question from time to time, like how does a person in business, you know, stay true to who they are and their craft while still you know, quote unquote, competing with more charismatic people. So I wonder if you have any thoughts about that for people out there who are, you know, need social media to promote themselves. You have to make a living, you, you know, you, you have to participate and engage, but how do you do it without, how do you market yourself without feeling like a fraud or like you're. Well, you know, the first thing I would do actually is look for a role model of somebody who you feel like is doing it well and who feels more like you. Hmm. I'm sure there are people like that out there. So I know when I, I, I was confronting very an analogous thing when my book first came out and I knew I was going to have to go and give lots of talks about it. And I had the same exact question. So I started looking around and one of the models I found for, for that scenario was Malcolm Gladwell, who, you know, was this well-known writer and really a world-class speaker. He's fantastic. Yeah. And he has, you know, now you don't see it quite as much because he's become so polished, but you still see it, you know, he's really an introvert. You know, he speaks in a very quiet and cerebral way, especially in the older days, you often saw him sort of pausing for the right word and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And he was incredibly compelling and effective. And so I kind of studied, well, what is it that allows him to be so compelling, even though he doesn't at all fit? the um, model that we would have in our minds of what makes for a dynamic speaker. And that helped me a lot, you know, both studying what, like, what were those elements, but also just feeling like, oh, this can be done and I can, I can channel this. Yeah. That's great advice. That is great advice. Yeah. And I I mean, I'm sure within the yoga world, there are plenty of people like that because, you know, first of all, you could be a charismatic introvert. (laughs) So, you know, I don't think we should assume that's true. It's about extroversion. But also, I'm sure there are people who are quite introverted within the yoga world who have found ways to present their message compellingly. Yeah, I think a lot of it is is also standing confidently in who you are, you know, like, which I think is so much of your message. Yes, absolutely. And so much yoga's message, too, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. And I, I always think, I don't know about myself. I always think like just slow and steady, just that's, that's just who I am, you know, on so many levels. And so if that's who I am, that has to just be where I stand. And I think also, you know, feeling like who you are is enough and that you have something to offer just by inherently being who you are, whatever, whoever that is. Yeah. No, I think that's right. I think that's absolutely right. 
Um, I want to wrap up. This is a slightly, slightly different little tangent, but you have started an organization called Quiet Revolution. You have ambassadors doing work in schools and in workplaces. And I do have a lot of yoga teachers who teach in schools. I'm wondering if you have any advice for yoga teachers or even classroom teachers or even parents of children who are, are introverted and are perhaps struggling with introversion in, in their school setting? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, such a huge question. Yeah, um, it is. <laughs> I guess the, the thing to know about quieter children, well, there's so much to know, but I'll say this one thing, which is they have a longer runway that they have to travel down before they take off and fly, but they will fly. So they need to know from you that that it might take them longer to develop comfort with whatever new thing they're doing. And they need to know from you that that's okay with you and you think they're cool the way they are. Mm. So like I often give the example of a child who is afraid to swim, you know, and so you've got some kids who will just jump in the water from day one and others where it's like really an issue. And for those kids where it's an issue, the answer is not to be overprotective and say, you don't have to learn to swim, you know, but the, the answer might be to say, okay, we are going to go to the pool on the day that it's quieter. Mm. And we're just going to go for a few minutes. We're just going to check it out. All quiet, dip a toe in. Okay, we're done. Declare victory. You know, and then you go back another quiet moment and do a little longer. Um, so you're exposing them to the thing gradually and you're letting them know you're cool with that. You're fine with that. And eventually they will become comfortable and you won't be able to tell them apart from a child who jumped in from the first day. Yeah. They need that space. Do you think that some of that too is perhaps the child being able to rehearse the action without a bunch of people watching them? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, especially, especially if you're talking about a child who is shy as well as introverted, you know, where just the, the sheer act of being looked at like produces anxiety. But even for an introvert who's not shy, the act, the act of being looked at still makes the environment just more stimulating and which means their battery is kind of draining as they speak. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. More quieter the setting and the fewer inputs that are coming in in the form of social life, probably the better. Right. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Susan. As I said, you know, I'm just a huge fan of your work and I just appreciate you taking the time today. Oh, absolutely. And I, I just wanted to say also for your listeners, if you have more questions about children or really any aspect of this, we also have a website that's called quietrev.com for quiet revolution. So quietrev.com. And you can take a personality test there for you or your kids and just, you know, read articles and tons of resources around all this stuff. Oh, that's great. Perfect. And you have the, oh, and you have the nine series podcast too, which I listen, I listen to and is amazing. And I listen to, to several of the episodes over and over again because they're so helpful. Aww. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So wonderful to hear. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's great. I, I, my daughter is an introvert and I, it's so interesting to me to see how I've already forgotten some of the things that I went through as a kid. And so to be reminded is really helpful. All right. Thank you. All right, you guys, let me know what you thought of this episode. I'm so excited to have someone outside of the yoga world who I still feel is so applicable to what we think about and what we go through. 
You can leave an iTunes review, which is always really helpful for the podcast in terms of helping other people to find it. And as I said earlier, show notes can be found at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 51. Until next week, enjoy your practice.